Well, many people don't know this story, uh, especially around Compass, but some years have passed now, so I'm, I'm ready to share it. When I first started uh, as an MBS leader, I was eager. I wanted to do everything I could. I wanted to be part of every meeting that I could. Um, I mean, I wanted to know everything. I wanted to know who wrote the lesson questions, which I didn't know at the time. Uh, well, in my secular job, I had this bad habit of just accepting everything. Anytime I got a calendar invite, I'd hit accept, and then as it got closer, I would decide if I was going to be there or not. Well, that worked against me here. So it was during the summer, it was back in 2017, I got an alert that it said MBS leader meeting, dot, dot, dot. I'm like, I'm going to be there. I got to be there. So I accepted it, of course, and um, got ready for that meeting. And when it was time for it to happen, I realized it was at an odd time. It was Sunday morning at 9 a.m. in the conference room. And I'm scratching my head because I'm like, well, that's kind of odd to meet in the conference room with such large audience of men's Bible study leaders. And then at 9 a.m. during the service, that's pretty bold. And Pastor PJ was new at the time, so I thought he was just, you know, he didn't know what he was doing. So uh, anyway, I signed up for the, the meeting, and I, I got there at 9 a.m., and I was one of the first people there. And about eight guys showed up. Uh, Pastor PJ walks in, and he goes, all right, we got everybody here. Thanks, guys. And I'm looking around like, Dude, this isn't everybody. It's like 40 leaders. What's going on here? But then his next words hit me. He said, I appreciate all of you signing up to be MBS lesson writers. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Get me out of here. That, that's not what I signed up for. I, I, I want to know parts of that. This is my first year leading a men's Bible study. I'm not trying to write lesson questions. Uh, and it was funny because, you know, I, I, I had that question in my mind and God had a way of uh, showing me exactly who it was. But my planning that wouldn't have happened. But God's plan is perfect. Uh, and I'm so thankful that it happened. But one thing that I realized in that is I didn't know what I was signing up for. And it made me think about the Christian life. Many Christians oftentimes, uh, or so-called Christians, they, they, they say, hey, I'm, I'm going to profess my faith and I'm going to be a Christian. And then they bail. They, 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 they quit at the first sign of, of testing and suffering. Why? Because they're not sure what they signed up for. Well, as Christians, we have to be ultra clear on exactly what it entails to be a Christian. You might say, what does that mean? The one thing that it means that's not often spoken about is suffering. Suffering. Jesus suffered, and he's told us we're going to suffer just as he suffered. So it's important for us to understand and know that aspect of Christianity in order to be a faithful Christian. And the problem that we have nowadays and America specifically is is that gets suppressed. That doesn't get that doesn't get talked about. So you have a lot of people that say, "Yeah, I like that. I want the easy road." And then they come to try attempt to be a Christian, and it just doesn't work out because they don't understand what they signed up for. Christianity is hard. We know that it's not easy. It's not an easy road. But we're not living for this life. Well, I want to talk a lot about suffering. That's the way to lose a crowd quickly, right? But, but I'm not going to stop there. That, that's the truth. That's, that's honesty is we're going to suffer. But the joy that I want to tell you about is how do we overcome that? So I'm going to give you four action items on how to overcome and take these tests that you get in life and be able to use them to grow more holy as God has planned with these tests that he's given us. So let's go ahead and open up our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. We're going to go through 12 through 19. So 
Starting with verse 12, it says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and God rest upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as Christ, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if righteousness is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So Peter starts off and, and talks about this fiery trial right out of the gates. And what is this fiery trial? It's, it's this refining fire. It's, you know, what they use to melt down silver and gold. And, and the reason that I'm confident that that's what it means, because in chapter one, he references in verse seven, it says, so the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. So you see, if you remember uh, back when the scriptures were originally written, we didn't have these chapter breaks. We didn't have verses. So the book went all the way through. So he's referencing the fire back then around precious gold. And this is how we know this is the same fiery trial that he's talking about now. But when you think about testing, uh, I want to take your mind back to being in school. When you signed up for school and you attended school, you knew that tests were part of school. It wasn't a surprise, right? You didn't go into class thinking, hey, I, I'm just going to skate through this. I don't have to do homework. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to do any tests. You knew that tests were part of it. And if you didn't know tests were part of it, your teacher probably provided you with a syllabus. And the syllabus outlined exactly when the testing points were. So you might not have liked taking the test, but you knew that tests were part of the course. Well, as Christians, we have to understand that being tested is part of being a Christian. It's going to help us grow more holy and it's going to sanctify us, but it's part of it. And we can't be surprised when that happens. I put it down like this for point number one is do not be surprised by testing. Do not. Don't be surprised by testing. God's given us a, a test that he's allowing to happen. He's very aware of it. Right? But our, our fleshly tendency is to complain and ask why. As if like Peter says, something strange were happening. God allowed it and God designed it. Well, you might say, what about James 1.13? Like God doesn't tempt anyone, right? I would say, yeah, you're right. God doesn't tempt anyone. God doesn't cause evil, but he allows it to happen. Satan is the one that causes evil. Think about Job for a second. Chapter one, Satan's roaming to and fro right, among, among the earth, trying to find someone. And, and God tells him, why don't you go tempt Job? Why don't you go test Job? And Satan goes, you, you, you have a hedge built around him. Like, I can't get to him. And God tells him, I'm going to allow you to go tempt Job, right? So God allows these things to happen. He's very aware. Uh, Christianity, it, it, it never promises immunity from suffering. What does it promise? It promises suffering, right? It's just part of what we're going to do. The simple question to ask, if you just back out of it is, and take this view of it and say, what would you rather have? Would you rather have 
momentary testing or suffering that, that lasts for a little while, as Peter says in chapter 5, uh, but ultimately spend eternity, eternity not being tested ever again. That's one option. Or would you rather avoid all the suffering and testing that goes on on this earth and spend eternity suffering? I think you, you would have the right answer for that. Or you might say, well, you know, if you're like me, you look at what they're suffering with in these, these times and say, well, that's different from us. Like, we're not suffering that bad in South Orange County, right? We're not suffering that bad in, in America. And the reason, if you ask yourself why, is because we're not proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ as boldly as they were during this day. They got to the point where people were, they, they were known, the believers during that time, as the people that never started talking about that name. They never stopped talking about it. All day in every conversation, they were finding a way to bring up that name in Jesus Christ. American Christianity resembles more of the world, unfortunately, than it does Christ's suffering. And that's just, that's a shame because nowadays we used to send missionaries over to other countries. Other countries are sending missionaries to us. Man, and brothers, we have to resolve right now, today, to never water down the gospel. It's, it starts with us and we have to make that resolve today. You might be thinking, well, I'll just play it safe. I won't say anything at all. Well, that's a lie. That's not playing it safe. That's, that's playing according to Satan's plan. He wants you to... Keep it to yourself. Don't go out and proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. If you want to have your Christianity, keep it to yourself and stay in the closet with it. But we know the, the greatest commandment that God gives us is to go, therefore, and make disciples. That is our job. And so there's no way we can do it without talking about the name of Jesus Christ. And we have to put, take ownership and, and know that God can use us to change the entire culture. The entire culture? Really, Kellen? Yeah, let me explain it. So it starts with you. If you yourself make a change in your approach to evangelism and you say, I'm going to go proclaim the name of Jesus Christ to the rooftops as much as I can, then guess what, the, guess what happens there? You start to then enter some prayer requests with your small group. And your small group starts to see, hey, pray for this person, pray for this person, share the gospel there, share the gospel there. And before you know it, guys are getting inspired in your small group because of how you're out there evangelizing. So they start doing it. And then all of a sudden your small group starts to evangelize a little more. And it, within the men's ministry, people are looking at your small group saying, wow, that small group is just exploding. They're bringing in guys out, outside of the church and it's just continuing to grow, to grow, to grow. Well, then you go from your small group and it starts to impact the men's ministry because people are looking at your small group thinking, how are they doing that? And then the men's ministry, you know, we've been stagnant around 300, 350 guys uh, here and there for, for years, right? But the men's ministry starts to grow because they start to see this one group explode and everybody starts to take uh, account accountability for themselves to say, how can I go out and make sure the men's ministry? And then the men's ministry goes to the church and then the church starts to become more evangelistic and we get to the community. And then the community gets out to the county. Then the county gets out to the state. Then the state gets out to the country. Then the country gets out to the world. And it all started with you. Now, you might say that's a little outlandish, but try it. It has to start somewhere. It has. It could start with you. Well, how do I do that? I think Three things you can bring up in conversations that's going to change the way people think and going to separate you from being more worldly is bring up the name Jesus Christ in conversations. We say God 
you and I know what we mean when we say God is good, right? God is sovereign. But that, that's very safe because there's many forms of God. There's the big G, there's little g. And so that seems to be acceptable by our world. You bring up the name Jesus Christ, that's going to raise a few eyebrows. Next, you bring up the fact that we're all sinners and we have a big sin problem and that none of us are good people outside of having God's saving grace. That's going to bring up a big problem. People think they're good. So if you tell them that they're big sinners, that's going to be a problem. The last thing I would say if you bring up in conversation is the exclusivity of Jesus Christ being the, the only way to heaven. That's going to bring up a problem. That's going to change people's view of you. But that's what God had planned. And that's what God constantly talked about during his ministry on earth. It's interesting if you really think about the, the impact of this coronavirus. It's in every conversation. Every conversation that you're probably having, some way, shape, or form, corona comes up, quarantine comes up or something. And it's indirectly affecting most of us. But there's a bigger problem that's out there, and that's sin. Right? Sin is impacting every single person walking this earth, and it's a big problem. And the, the, the result and consequence for sin that's not confessed and that's not substituted by Jesus Christ is that we spend eternity in hell, but we're not having enough conversations about Jesus Christ with a problem that big. But God can start all of this change with your view of evangelism and how you go about it, but he's going to test you, and it's going to start with testing. So going back to our point is we cannot be surprised by testing. So now that you're clear on not being surprised by testing, Peter goes into, well, what should I do? What should I do then? And that's verse 13. It says, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted by the name of Christ, you are blessed because of the spirit of glory and God rests upon you. So growing up, my favorite athlete and favorite player was Shaq. I wanted to be like Shaq. He, the biggest compliment you could give me when I was playing basketball, I was like, man, you, you play like Shaq. And I even picked up some bad habits of, of shooting free throws like Shaq, unfortunately, too. But the, one th the, th the things you had to do in order to get that compliment to be like Shaq is you had to be aggressive. Right? You had to be physically strong. And, and you had to appear to be a, a, a man amongst boys when you were playing. You weren't getting a compliment of you play like Shaq if you're out there shooting three-pointers. Shaq didn't do that. Well, being like Shaq does nothing for me now. The biggest compliment I can get in life is when somebody says, hey, you are like Christ in regards to how you live your life, in regards to how you're a light amongst people, in regards to how you, consider, how you continue to share the truth. That's the biggest compliment. But we have to have a right understanding of who Christ is and what it entails to be a Christian. Sharing in, in Christ's suffering, it's, it's, Jesus was constantly rejected by the world. The believers loved him, but the world constantly rejected him. So does that mean we need to strive to go be rejected at every corner? No, I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is we should be striving to live a life like Jesus Christ. And that means being a light amongst the world and constantly sharing the truth. You read about it all throughout the New Testament or all throughout the Gospels. Jesus is sharing truth with anybody that he can have a conversation with. Um, and our old self was crucified with him on the cross. And, and we need to just be so joyful that we're united with Christ 
in that our second point is rejoice in being tested like Christ. Rejoice in being tested like Christ. When you accept Jesus, you, you take up your cross and that, that comes with everything, suffering, um, all of it. And Philippians 3, 3 verse 10 says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in death, that by any means possible, I may attain resurrection from the dead. We, we may attain resurrection from the dead being like Christ. It, it's like playing for a championship team. When you put on that jersey, uh, people are going after you. It makes me think about uh, the, the Dallas Cowboys, America's team, the, a championship team. When you put on that jersey, people are going to come after you. Side note, this is one of the times that I, I wish we had an audience because I'd love to see some faces out there. I'm sure I'll get a few texts or, or emails about my Cowboys comment. But anyway, you, you, you rejoice if you're being tested as a believer. There's an enemy out there right now. Satan is looking for somebody to devour. If you're not being tested, you're, you're no threat. Right? If I'm playing a game of basketball and you're not a good scorer and I'm guarding you, I'm probably going to spend most of my time focused on somebody else that's more of a threat because you can't hurt me, really. You're not going to score any points. So same thing with life. If you're not a threat to Satan uh, in the world, then you might not be tested. So we should be re rejoicing and joy-filled when we have these testings. And there's a difference between joy and, and happiness. I want to clarify that is, is happiness is, is circumstantial, right? I can be happy right now. I can be sad later. But joy is God-centered. It's, it's focused on the long-term joy that doesn't get impacted uh, like happiness does. So, and, and even when you, when you think about being joyful, when you, when you face the big sufferings, a lot of times when you have that joy, uh, you can still just be excited about it, um, even during tough times. I'll give you an example is sharing the gospel. Uh, if you go out and share the gospel with somebody and they just reject you until you stop talking, a lot of times when you've built up that courage and gotten bold enough and prayed about it and shared the gospel, it doesn't matter what happens. After that, you feel joy-filled because you know you've served Christ. You know you've gone out and shared the gospel as he's calling you to do. Verse 14, it says, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and God rests upon you. So you might be thinking, well, does that mean anybody can suffer? Like any suffering that happens, that's just what Peter's talking about right here. No, not so fast. So, so Peter breaks that down and debunks that argument to make sure that we're talking about the same exact suffering. It starts in verse 15. He says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. So I want to pause right there because they use the word Christian. If you know your Bible well enough, the word Christian doesn't get thrown around a lot in the Bible. Uh, it's used three times, twice in Acts and once here in 1 Peter. Uh, but believers during that time called themselves believers or brethren or, or saints. They didn't feel they were worthy enough to use the name Christian. Christian was given by a pagan, a pagan, the pagan, excuse me, to in regards of mockery and ridicule. So it wasn't a compliment to be called a Christian during this day, but it is now. Verse 17 says, for it is a time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, 
what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteousness is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So he gives us these four categories, a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, and a meddler. All of those are unregenerate sinning, right? These are sins of people not of Christ. But that there's one in there. We, we understand murderer and thief and evildoer, but it's a meddler, right? I don't know if that necessarily came up in our vocabulary this week, but a meddler, the Bible describes it as a, as a busybody, somebody that's always worried about somebody else, that's always in somebody's business. What does that person have? What, does they ha what do they have? And the typical thing you'll get from a meddler is, well, that's not fair. Why does that person get that? And I, I don't get that. So as Christians, we shouldn't be out trying to settle fairness um, on our own. So Peter is telling the people here, just in case they might be thinking, okay, I just need to go uh, attack something and, and, and basically strike up, um, strike up suffering. He's, not, he's saying no, because if you go out and you try to overthrow the government, and that brings suffering upon you, that's not Christ's suffering. That's not what I'm talking about. And we know that because most of First Peter, as we've talked about, is referring to good behavior. When we're in tough situations, good behavior is what Peter focuses on. So uh, the focus on what God is trying to teach you is what we need to be looking at. And we need to evaluate that. And that brings us to our third point. I put it this way is evaluate what is being tested. Evaluate what is being tested? What is God trying to teach you right now? Right now, in the midst of this uh, coronavirus epidemic, what is he trying to teach you? Uh, you might be busy right now trying to rush through it, trying to get to the point where we're beyond this, but God knows this is happening for a reason. He has this situation, um, everything in life on pause for us. So what are some of the things that could be tested right now? Maybe you're having conflict with your wife. Um, and right now it's sky high because you're confined to the same home and you don't you don't really have many outlets. Or maybe it's with your children. They're, they're driving you up the wall as well. And it's causing you to to anger a lot quicker than than you normally would. Or maybe there's no sports on TV right now or, or your normal shows are, are not on TV and, and, and you're bored. Um, your prayer requests more often than not comes in the form of testing. I'll repeat that. Your very prayer requests that you have come in the form of testing. So you might ask how. You might have prayed on a recent prayer. I wish I could spend more time with my spouse. Here it is. How are you doing with it? You might have prayed to God. I wish I could, I wish I could be slower to anger. I wish I could have more patience with your kids. Here it is. How are you doing with it? Lastly, you might have wished and prayed for, I, I just I, I pray to have more time to be more diligent with my family. God's pressed pause on everything in our life. Here it is. How are you doing with it? We, we typically ask for these things in prayer, but then when, when it comes for us, we're not looking for it. We're not constantly evaluating our situation to see, to see how God is teaching us, and we don't want to work for it. God's given it to us, the same thing we asked for, maybe not on a platter that we thought it should be, but he's given it to us on one that's much more uh, or much better than what we could ever imagine, and we do nothing with it. But we need to be evaluating the situation to find it. You might think, well, there's nothing good that's coming from this testing that I'm having. Absolutely nothing good. 
you may think that, but Romans 8.28 promises us that all things work together for good. And you just need to be searching for it in the right way. So I'm going to give you five different points on how things could be working for the good that you oftentimes overlook because the good is not what you're thinking good. The first one is testing works for good when you start praying more. When you get on your knees and start calling out to God because you need him and you know you can't do it on your own, it's working out for good. Number two, testing works out for good when you start fighting sin. When you make a resolve to say today is going to be the day I'm going to change and I'm going to rely upon God to help me get there, but I'm going to fight sin at every chance I get. I'm going to start putting guardrails in my life to make sure I don't fall into that same sin that I always have. It's working out for good. Testing works for good when you develop humility. Many of us have had jobs right now or you, you, you own your own company and you almost think that it's guaranteed that you're going to get income the way you've always gotten income. Well, then here comes this coronavirus and it stopped a lot of things. And so then it, it, it's, it's developed some humility in you because you realize you're not in control. And so now you have a little bit more humility. Now you rely upon God a little more. That's working for good. Number four. Testing works for good when it equips us to comfort others around us. It equips us to comfort others around us. So we have situations that happen in our life, and this is sometimes where, where I know I miss, and a lot of uh, men just miss in general, is we're not sharing our prayer requests because we want to put up this facade of who we are. We're not sharing our, our answered prayers. When God answers a prayer for us, we're not sharing that and encouraging other people. There's things that happen in your life that God's put you around certain people right now that he wants you to share your experiences, share your troubles, share the answered prayers, because that's going to encourage somebody else that's right near you. Lastly, number five, testing works for good when it makes us long for heaven. So this typically comes with the, the long-term suffering. And you're like, I just, I, you know, these pains, these aches, these ailments that I have, I, I just can't wait for heaven. Well, that works for good when we long for heaven. Peter also talks about the judgment for believers is now. The judgment and testing for believers is right now. So if we're being tested right now, what do you think is going to happen to the non-believers when God finally comes back and he puts the time and focus on judgment for them. It's going to be a lot worse. It makes me think about um, me getting a shot at the doctor. I don't like needles. I'm giving you a lot of information about me today, it seems like, uh, but I'm just being transparent. I don't like needles. Uh, when I take my kids to the doctor, I try to, you know, just be funny and, and help them out to take their mind off of it. And so if we go to the doctor with my kids, they're, they're trying to get a shot. Most times with my son, I'm like, hey, suck it up. You'll be fine. It's not going to hurt. Uh, you'll, it, it, it's fun. It's fun, right? And he gets his shot and he's all good. But there's been a couple times where the doctor will turn and be like, hey, Mr. Allen, you're, you're due for a shot, too. Uh, no, no. Can, can I, can I come back later? I don't like it. Right. It was fun when it was, the tension was focused on my son. But then when the doctor turned to me and asked me for my shot, I'm not about that. Uh, I eventually do it, but, uh, yeah, I know I'm six, seven. I know the needle is just two inches. I, I get it. I don't like them. But my point here is it, for the non-believer, it's all fun and games when they feel like there's no accountability, but there will come a day where judgment will occur. And that wrath is something that it, we, we can't even think of, but it's going to be just. 
many of us, many of people just might miss the suffering that happens on earth, but then they spend eternity with that suffering. So how do I make sure I'm doing the right thing in these tests? It brings us to verse 19. It says, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. That word entrust is a, a banking term. It, it means make deposits or investments. And typically when you make deposits or investments, it's, it's a, a percentage. God doesn't want a percentage. God wants our entire investment and deposit, 100%, nothing less. And he's not looking for our two cents, our opinion on, uh, let, me, let me add this to what God's doing. He doesn't need that. His plan is perfect, and he wants us to understand that and put our full trust in him. And I put it like this for our final point, number four, is put your full trust in God. Very simple. Put your full trust in God. And we should. He's a, he's a faithful creator, Peter says. And oftentimes the, the verse we don't chew on enough is, is Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created the heavens and the earth and everything that falls upon up under there. So that should give us more confidence to be able to to give our, our problems to God and rely upon God to help us through it, knowing that he created it. He's well qualified and capable of taking on any problems that we have. As I conclude, I came across a, a poem that I wanted to read. It, 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 it hit home um, and I think it's. Uh, it was well written and it, it made a lot of sense, especially as we're talking about being tested and how we respond to being tested. It goes like this. If I hold a basketball in my hand, it might be worth $20. But if you put that same basketball in the hands of LeBron James, it's worth $30 million. If I take a football and I hold it in my hands, it might be worth $15. You take that same football and put it in Tom Brady's hands, it's worth $60 million. You see, it depends on whose hands it's in. If I take a, a golf club and in my hands, it might be worth $50. But in the hands of Tiger Woods, it's probably worth $80 million. If I take a stick, I could probably fight off a small animal. Uh, but you put a stick in the hands of Moses, he can part the Red Sea. You see, it depends on whose hands it's in. If I take a slingshot in my hands, it's nothing more than a kid's toy. But if you put that same slingshot in the hands of King David, he can slay a giant. If I have nails in my hand, I might could build you a, a birdhouse, if you're lucky. But you take those same nails and put them in the hands of Jesus Christ, it can lead to salvation and eternal life in heaven. You see, it, it, it all depends on whose hands it's in. So any anxiety, any stresses, any worries, any fears that you have right now in your hands, in my hands, that's all they are. But if we put them, if we entrust them into God's hands, then he can satisfy any need that we would have and he can take away those issues that we have. So suffering and being tested, we, we have to anticipate that. We have to expect it. It's part of the plan. But we can be so joyful during this time. And I hope you feel that. We can be so joyful with tests if we understand why we're being tested. And we're being tested for us to grow in holiness. We're being tested for us to be more like Christ. We're being tested for that day of graduation, which we can spend in heaven with God. Let's pray. 
God, we just thank you for um, just this message. All of First Peter has just been so timely, Lord, and we know that you're in full control of the timing of all of this. For us to be able to read about suffering so much and to be able to have application on how we should suffer according to you and know that it, it's, it's not by accident. Uh, we just praise God and we love you for giving us the resource of the Bible that gives us everything that we could ever want and need to get through this life. Um, and I'm, I'm thankful for the tests that we do get. They're not always fun, Lord. And I, I know that we would want a different way if we could write the script, but your script, your testing, your plan is perfect. And I pray that every day we, we understand that and we evaluate situations that are going on in our life, understanding that they are tests from you. And those tests are gonna help us be more holy and more glorified until the day that we get to spend in eternity with you. Well, we won't have to, we won't have to feel any of these pains, Lord. Help us just to be encouraged by your message on how to endure through these tough times and help us to evaluate what's going on in our life and put our full trust in you, knowing that in your hands you can handle everything. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.